good to see um, people back. I know that um, Shu Yun Shu Yun is back from Malaysia. There she is. Would you would you arise? Isn't this great? So uh, those Malaysian people wanted to keep her, and we said no, we want her, and so I think we we won. <laughs> and um, of course, Britta is here as well. Brett. Welcome, welcome. Angela is somewhere around. Um, she's probably with the kids, probably with the kids. So let's, uh, we want to thank God for, um, for God's care of Shu. And um, we also have uh, other visitors here among us. There's Tom Yun with his three lovely kids. I think he's with the kids. He's taking the kids there. So, oh, there's Tom. There he is. Yes, welcome. Welcome to, uh, to Redeemer Life. Um, and I want to see who else. There is uh, Kira's, uh, where's Kira? Oh, right here. Do you want to introduce us to someone special? Is there? Yes. Mima and brother Ethan, welcome. Welcome. Um, Mima means grandma in uh, a language that will go unmentioned. Was Swedish. Yeah. No, but you're well. We are we are the Swedes of America. People, Johnson. What else do you want? You know, it's <laughs> it's that's what people ask me. Did you did you change your name when you came to North Park? Because everyone's a Johnson there. Anna Peterson and Anderson and like Vladimir's. Everyone's a Vladimir in Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. And, and then there's a there's a president there's a would be president in Ukraine, who's kind of a, um, um, a um, what should I say? He's a comedian. Is that all right if I? Say? He's a comedian, like, but like, like Ronald Reagan. Like like Ronald Reagan. Yes. Yeah. So this will be a Ronald Reaganish. All the Republicans will be happy that there is a Republican who will be the next president of Ukraine. Of course, he has to combat the, the other Vladimir. We have the better Vladimir here, who's in Russia. So let's pray. This is kind of serious stuff. We should pray for Ukraine. We should pray because a lot of people are suffering, you know, in this war, Crimean War in the Caucasus area. Uh, let's pray for uh, um, that God's... Um, 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 his peace would come about in this area. Um, we don't care too much about um, what's going on in other parts of the world. Um, and um, so we, we need to be thinking about stuff like this. I, I do know that um, there are people from our church who are going and serving in different places. So I know that David Yun will be going to, um, to Kenya tomorrow. Is um, Yunus's tomorrow? On Tuesday, David Yoon is going. So let's pray for him. Um, uh, he's going to be serving um, uh, in medical camps with uh, Samaritan's Purse. Um, a lot of refugees. When I went to Kenya, when I went to the Kakuma refugee camp where there are 800,000 people in one refugee camp. I think I got the number right. Um, um, and in, in, in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, which is the capital, there are refugees from all over, from, from Ethiopia, from Congo, and um, 
Of course, the people there who themselves are suffering don't want new refugees. So these refugees that come from Congo and Ethiopia and Eritrea and uh, Sudan and other places, they, they have a very, very horrible experience. So uh, let's pray for um, David during this time that God's presence would be with him, keep him safe. Um, he's going to be there for a, for a week or so. Um, and then let's continue to pray for, um, um, for Colombia, for Venezuela. Venezuela is a very bad place. A lot of um, Venezuelan refugees are streaming into Ecuador and into Colombia. And, and there are um, our fellow um, missionaries who are reaching out to, to these people while um, the politicians are... Um, are doing horrible things. Um, so a lot is going on, and we need to be praying for a number of these things. We are in, in the season of Lent, which is 40 days. It's 40 days because um, it was during this time that Jesus himself spent 40 days in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness, and he fasted, and he prayed, and... and um, and then towards the end of that, um, um, the evil one comes to him and uh, makes him want to succumb to his evil plans. And he says, if you're really the son of God, do this. If you're really the son of God, do this. If you're really the son of God, do this. And, 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 and Jesus does not succumb to that. And so Jesus gives us the... Um, the pattern to spend time in prayer and in reflection. And of course, it leads to uh, what is the crescendo called the Holy Week. And you will be hearing more announcements from our um, e-board leaders about what's going to happen during the Holy Week. Um, Monday, Thursday, there is uh, at least the makings of the plans of reaching out to refugees and celebrating Monday, Thursday with them. Monday, Thursday is the time when, when Jesus gets together with his disciples and celebrates what is called the Last Supper, the Passover Seder, and he gives them the mandate to be servants to the whole world. And, um, and then, of course, the next day Jesus is crucified, so there'll be Good Friday. And then there is the, the, the crescendo in, in the resurrection, remembering that we are um, a group of people that are saved because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Um, so this is a fascinating period of time, and I would encourage you to, to reach out to your neighbors, uh, to your friends, uh, so that they would come and, and hear the gospel of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we are following the whole people of God um, um, uh, readings series during this time. Uh, we've been doing this for a period of time. Uh, we did take a little bit of a break for seven weeks. We did the Explore God series where we addressed the big questions that human beings are asking that, had, that they have asked from, from, from a long period of time for as, uh, ever since we know about the history of thinking and philosophy and writing People have asked those questions. So we went through that seven series, and, and we are back into um, 
this season of 40 days in the whole People of God series, your kids will be also um, talking about these issues. So those of you who are, who've got little kids, I, I would encourage you to talk to your kids. Say, what did you learn in Sunday school? And open up this, the text of the Bible uh, to talk about, like, for instance, today's um, uh, sermon is based on Luke chapter 15. Talk about it every day. Talk about there are different um, parables. So perhaps, you know, for, for a dinner on, on Monday or Tuesday, uh, talk about the, the, the parable of, of the lost sheep, the parable of uh, the lost coin, the, the parable of, of the lost son, and what does it mean? These are important things for us to be an intergenerational community, and, and my prayer is that we would continue to be that because, you know, we've got to remember, my kids are all grown up now. They're all in college. Well, they're, 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 they've graduated from college. Thankfully, I still have loans to pay. I probably shouldn't be saying that in public, but there it is. Um, um, uh, but, but, but kids are with us for a short period of time, and we need to invest in their lives. So I would encourage you to talk, take it upon yourselves to talk about serious things uh, which will mold them in, in life. Um, Luke chapter 15, a powerful, powerful passage. May we... Um, well, I do want to say our young people are here also, so um, it's so nice to see you all. And, you know, you can ask questions. I think one of the things we should do is um, uh, your parents don't ask questions. So would you lead the way and just stop me somewhere and say, I have a question. Is that all right? Yes? Okay. Um, so let's all arise and, and, um, and read this passage. Luke chapter 15 from the New International Version. Uh, we'll read the first three verses because that's the introduction to the three parables that Jesus narrates uh, and gives you the introduction. Um, and, and then we'll dive into the parable of, it's called the prodigal son, but I don't like that. The, the word there is the destroyed son. Why was he destroyed? Those are issues that we want to talk about. Um, the destroyed son, or the lost son. Um, so let's read this together. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and onwards. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around the, to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But a while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of man was dead and was alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come here, they replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat's so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property, prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We want to thank you for your love, oh Father, that is seen so powerfully in this parable. So speak to us, oh Lord, for there are some here who are probably lost, some here who need your healing touch. Lord, I pray that you'd reach out Reach out and heal. Reach out as your lost people turn to you. In the name of Jesus, the risen one, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a powerful, powerful parable, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a fascinating parable. It's a parable that I think so often is misunderstood and probably we can dive into some of those aspects because I think it's crucial for us to understand the context. Um, The context, as you see it so clearly, is found in in the first few verses of Luke chapter 15 where where it talks about these these people called the tax collectors. Now, who are the the tax collectors? These These were people who are called the publicans. These were people... Who, are, who came, come from a lower middle class kind of family. They knew some reading and writing. And so the, um, the, the, the Roman authorities took advantage of that because they had dealings with the lower order people in Nazareth and in Galilee and those sorts of places and took advantage of them so that um, 
They were hated by the Pharisees, they were hated by the Sadducees, and they were hated by the poor people also. They, they had nowhere to go. It's very similar to, I don't know if you've, 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 you've heard about the, the Tuskegee experiment. The Tuskegee experiment, do you, do you, do you know that? It, it, it's an experiment in which the government said, oh, we're out of money. Um, and, 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 you know, there are those people who live in Alabama, and, and they're black, and, and, and they're dying of, of syphilis and, and those kinds of diseases. Let's, let's give some of them, a few of them, let's give them penicillin. But the others, let's just give them something so that they think that, you know, something has been given to them. So, and we want to study how people die of syphilis. What do you think of that? That's what they did. In the Tuskegee experiment, and they used African-American nurses to accomplish their purposes. Because they had relationship with these men. And they, they, they knew partly, they didn't know partly, but, but they, they were used and abused by, by the government authorities so that people died of syphilis while penicillin was available. And that's been the history of society, right? Those are the kinds of people who call the tax collectors here. Tax collectors and sinners, these are the people who wanted healing in their life and people took advantage of them. These are the kinds of people that turned towards Jesus. And if you look at the history of the church, those are the kind of people who have always turned to Jesus. If you look at the history of the church in India, for example, the church is made up of low caste and outcast people, not of the high caste people. It's always the people who are subjected to a lot of harm, who want freedom from that, and they look at Jesus and say, we are free, spiritually, emotionally, economically, in every way, we are free. And those are the kinds of people who follow Jesus. But of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had it all, they said, Bruh. Why isn't this Jesus talking to us? Why is he talking to those people? I mean, if he really knows what is good for him, for him to be politically astute, he's got to talk to us. But Jesus did not. And so Jesus knew that, and he, and he started narrating parables to them, parables like the lost sheep. That's so interesting. He talked about this. This person who had a hundred sheep, and, and of course he lost one, and, and he leaves the others and goes following, looking for that one sheep. And the whole idea here is that's how God is. He doesn't care about numbers. God cares about that one person who needs healing. That one person, you know, we, call, we talk about numbers. Unfortunately, that is the history of the modern church in the West. Look at that amazing church that's got 15,000 people and 20,000 people. That's not what it's all about. It's that one sheep that God cares about. Not the 99. 
And then, of course, Jesus talked about the second parable, which, 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 which again, we're not going to go into a whole lot of details into those two parables because I want to dwell on, on the parable of, of the lost son, the destroyed son a little more. Uh, you, you have the lost coin, and, and there's this woman, and she's a poor woman, and she loses this coin, and she leaves the other coins there and, and looks for that one coin. What is this coin? Uh, if, you, if, you, if you study the history of this, you'll, you'll get to realize that this was probably something that was given by her bridegroom. It was a dowry that she wore around her neck that brought about that unity between her and her bridegroom. So she goes looking for it all over. I mean, she turns the whole house upside over looking for this one thing. Because not that it was the coin that was precious, but it was that relationship with her husband that was important. And she searched for it, and she found it, and she goes to all her, it says friends and neighbors. But, 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 but in, 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 in Greek, the word is the feminine plural pronoun. She goes to all her Sahelis, we call them, you know, their girlfriends. And she says, look what I found, look what I found. Because men wouldn't care, sadly. It's all her girlfriends who cared that because they knew what was the meaning of this one thing that she had lost. And she celebrates with them. And of course, all these people are looking at Jesus and they're shaking their head and they're saying, oh, oh. So Jesus says, all right, let me tell you another parable. And he goes on to narrate this parable that we just read. Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. There was a person, a man, he had two sons. And those that knew the Bible, they knew. Two sons, yes, yes, two sons. There are so many narratives about two sons from the beginning because there's always two kinds of sons. There's Adam and Eve that had Cain and Abel. There were two sons, and what did Cain do to Abel? Kill this kiddo because his life meant just a breath. I'm going to prove that your life is just a breath. So he killed him. And then, of course, there, there is the narrative of, of two other sons because there is Abraham and Sarah. And through a series of events, they have two sons. And, and there is uh, Isaac, Yitzchak, and uh, who's the, the other one? Oh, young people. Ishmael, yes, yes, yes. Yitzchak and Ishmael, Ishmael. And they're also at loggerheads with each other. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on there, right? And that's followed by two other sons. Who are these? There is Yaakov, which means the heel. And uh, who's the other one? Young people, young people. Jacob and, and Esau. Yes, thank you. Now, Esau means the hairy one, you know. This is so fascinating that parents name their kids like this. You know, there is, there's this first one who was born, and he was really, really hairy. And so the mom looked at him and said, that's what you'll be called, the hairy one. Aren't you thankful your parents didn't name you that? You know, kids don't, babies don't look very nice when they're born. I'm, you know, sorry to give you this news. They don't look nice. 
And if parents name them that when they see the first thing that comes to their mind, everyone will have all kinds of odd names. So there is Jacob and there is Esau and and they also are at loggerheads with each other. So two sons, everyone knew this is going to be a very interesting story. And then there is, of course, Joseph. And Joseph has got 11 other brothers who say, Oh, kiddo, our father is giving you this this robe of authority. In Hebrew, it's the robe of authority. It's not all that technical dream coat and all that. Forget about it. You know, I don't know where do people come up with all that. But it's the robe of priestly and kingly authority that was given to Joseph. So the 11 brothers look at him and they say, Oh, you kiddo. We're going to sell you into slavery and teach you a lesson. And they take that robe and dip it in blood and and they go and show it to the father and say, look what happened to your son. We don't know what happened to your son, but we found it on the way. Oh, brothers. Why do brothers do this to each other? Sean, were your brothers nice to you? They were nice. He wouldn't say otherwise right now. Um, Two brothers. So he has his father, he has two sons, and then it talks about a younger uh, son. English is a rather weak language, I've talked about this many, many times. The word that's used there is not just younger in age, but it's a diminutive word. This person was crushed and crushed and crushed till nothing was left of him. And, and, and sometimes brothers do that to each other. I have no idea why. You know, it gives them a sense of joy to, to crush the other one. And some of you are younger may have experienced that. And so this, this guy's whole identity was taken away from him. And he wanted freedom from that. And so when his father divides up the property between the two He wants to find his own identity. And that is why he goes. He goes to a distant place. And as it it goes on to say here, um, uh, the the, the diminutive one, the the neophyte. And in Greek, the term is neos, which means, you know, there's this little kid that no one wants to listen to. And this little kid has all these ideas and everyone kind of smiles and shakes their head and then goes on to the next subject. Right? I don't know if you've had that experience, but some people do that. Right? Oh, you neophyte? You have an idea? Let's see what your idea is. And then not even care about any second word that's spoken. So that's who he was. And he, 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 he packs up and he goes, takes his journey into a far-off country. And then in the English it says he squandered his property, his wealth, in loose living. I think as I look at the Greek words there, I would want to give him the benefit of the doubt. The word that's translated as squandered is a negative word, right? And loose living is also a negative word. But I would say that those words could well be translated as uh, he is scattering his investments, if you will, into society, into Something that could be considered as also being risky. And that's what people do when they're immigrants, right? 
Immigrants will go into a new place and come up with new ideas and invest here, invest there, invest in these other things, invest of themselves. And that's what some of your parents would have done. Starting up the, the restaurant there, the Chinese restaurant or the Korean restaurant or, or whatever it is. That's what immigrants do. And that's what he did. Unfortunately, it did not turn out well because the whole economy came crashing down. And that's when immigrants face the worst part of the experience. Because everyone else seems like they're doing okay. The people who do the worst always are people like this neophyte. Because obviously he speaks in a strange accent and everyone looks at him and says, oh, you don't know what you're talking about because you speak funny. You look funny. You act funny. And so that's what he's going through. I do want to say this also. I think it's important for us to realize that sometimes as immigrant parents... We do that to that younger one and put so much pressure on that younger one that we destroy the, the inner being of that younger one. And that younger one wants to become someone. That is a part of the immigrant experience and we need to be mindful of that. And he goes there. And there's no money left. And then he says, what am I going to do? And so he loses his identity completely. It says here in the English language that he joined himself to one of the citizens. In Greek, the word actually means you're losing yourself completely into this person. This person defines who you're going to be. That's where he is. And this person says, you're Jewish, right? I'm going to send you to feed the pigs. Because you guys talk about the pigs. You don't want to go near the pigs. Your God says you cannot have pork at all. Go and feed the pigs. And this is not pods. You know, I think it's, some, it's a bunch of people that want to kind of imagine that... Um, this, this is good food fed to the pigs. Well, it really is, is, is not. It's, um, do you know that we spend $72 billion on animals? $72 billion. On all this little, you know, dog, this little cat, this little, while people are suffering in hunger around the world. We spend all that money on pigs. Is what is happening here. The pigs are being fed while human beings are not being fed. There is actually data about how much money we spend on the costumes of our animals during this during Brenda's favorite holiday called Halloween. <laughs> Do you know how much money we spend? It goes into millions of dollars. 
on costumes for animals during Halloween. But do you see the dissonance here? He is feeding horrible stuff to pigs. That's no pods. That is, that smells. It's awful. And he's feeding this animal. He says, I wish I could eat this because there's nothing in my tummy. I wish I could eat the stuff that I'm feeding the pigs. And at that time, suddenly he wakes up. Suddenly he wakes up. This is, this is so powerful. As he's, as he's feeding the most despicable creatures you can ever think of. You know, I don't know if you have... Have you lived around swine? I'm sure you haven't. I have. In the slum where I was, there were pigs all over the place. There was bad stuff lying all over the place. And there were pigs also all over the place. And, and, and it's a horrible experience. Um, but that's what he was experiencing. And then it says in verse 17, his steps to healing begin at verse 17 where it says, he came to himself. He had this wake-up experience. And he comes to a point of self acceptance to say I have made wrong decisions maybe wrong decisions because of what my father has done to me what my siblings have done to me what the world around me has done to me but I've also made decisions and he comes to this point of self-acceptance this point in which he he says what have I done to myself I am where I am because of decisions I have made. Yes, others have caused these decisions to be made, but he says, that is not going to be my focus. My focus is going to be on decisions that I have made. And then he decides, it says, go, goes on to say here, that he says, my father uh, has hired servants and and, and they have a lot of food to eat and so on and so forth. But here I am. I, I'm perishing. That's the same word that's used to describe the lost son. Um, in, in Greek, the word is apolumi, apolumi. So it's lostness, perishableness, and so on and so forth, where he says that I am in this, in this state. So the next step is, I will arise. That word is resurrection. He realizes that he is to take responsibility for his own actions. And then he decides to arise. I will determine to take action. That's the second step. So he arises and he says, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as, as one of your, your servants, your hired servants, which is different from the first word that's used there. And in many senses, I think the third step is saying that you need to acknowledge 
who you are. You need to acknowledge your own faults. Uh, I want to... Um, open up my notes here because I have made reference to a very important book that was written by um, one of my favorite people um, in South Africa, a person by the name of uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu. Have you heard about Desmond Tutu? Desmond Tutu wrote a book um, called... Um, the Fourfold Path of Healing for Ourselves and Our World, the Book of Forgiving. And he goes on to say this. You, you, you know the, the history of what had went on in South Africa where there were people who, who came from, uh, from the Netherlands and, and they went and they enslaved um, the, the black people there, gave them only 10% uh, of the worst land and took control of 90% of the land, and, and apartheid was a horrible thing. And then they said, oh, you know, these, these people, they're not really working hard, so let's get, bring people from elsewhere. So they went to India and brought the low-caste people from there. They went to China and brought people from there. They went to other parts of the world and in Asia, brought people from there and called them coolies. And these people encountered a lot. So, when the new government came into being, Bishop Tutu led the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And this was the basis of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He says, reconciliation can only happen if first, people admit their own faults and culpabilities. Really, really acknowledge is what he is saying. Admitting the wrong and acknowledging the harm. Number two, he says, telling one's story and witnessing the anguish. Tell your story, what you experience, and let others tell their story and give them a listening ear. Have a heart-to-heart Truth-telling. And then he goes on to say, number three, asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness. Say, I'm sorry for what I've done. And really mean it. But also grant forgiveness. And number four, he goes on to say, renewing or releasing the person. Not everyone will enter into the process like the sun. So in this, you have the son, the younger son, the diminutive son, the, the, this lost son, the destroyed son. He, he comes back, and, and as he comes back, of course, he finds his father who is looking for him. This is quite an enjoyable story from an Eastern perspective, of course. You know, this, this is not a father who has run marathons. This is a father who must have been way, way, way overweight because that's how patriarchs are in Eastern society. They wear this 
this long dress, it's called a taub, even now. If you are a grandfather, you wear a taub, and everyone will revere you. And, and so, but, but he used to go, and he would be looking in the direction of, my son will come back one day, my son will come back one day. And then he sees him, sees him in a distance. And of course, parents know, right, because you've seen your kid kind of walk a certain way, talk a certain way, do a certain thing. So from a distance, he sees this kid and he says, that's him, that's him. And he gets up, and this must have been quite a sight because he would have had to pick up his taub and he would have had to run, run really hard. And he ran and he ran and he ran and he sees his son and his, fa- his son is seeing his father and he doesn't go there and, 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 and shake his hands or something like that. He does what... Um, um, what, 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 what people in the music team do at the back. They hug each other. Did you know that? <laughs> so he, he comes and he, and he throws himself at, this, at his son and, and he kisses him all over the place. Eastern fathers never do that. Never. In the Middle East, they would never do that. He goes and throws himself and kisses him and kisses him and kisses him. And, and, then, and then, of course, his son has repeated this phrase over and over again. Father, I've sinned in your sight and in the sight of heaven. Do you think his father was listening? He wasn't. Two things. One is, I think the son got it right. Forgiveness has two dimensions always. I have sinned in the sight of God. And I have sinned in your sight. Whenever we do harm to people, we got to recognize that reconciliation needs to happen first with God and then with human beings around us. And both are equally important. I've sinned in the sight of heaven and in your sight. But what does his father do? His father says, go, go and take the sacrificial calf and and make, make a great party here. What he was doing here is not so much, the focus should not be on party, but the focus should be on What is happening here? The sacrifice is an atonement sacrifice. You know, our problem is that we think of parties in terms of going to Dominic's and buying the, you know, this nice piece of meat there and this nice piece of vegetable here and and making a party. But in ancient times, it the party was all about reconciliation. You go and you make meet first by sacrificing before God and saying, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done to you and to this, my sister, my brother. And then you sacrifice that animal. In this case, it's the fattened calf that was only sacrificed on the Day of Atonement because you want at atonement with this other person. That is true reconciliation. Where you come before God and say, Lord, I want at one moment with you, and I want at one moment with my sister to whom I have done harm, or my brother to whom I have done harm. 
That is what the father does. We don't know what was his culpability, but he recognizes his own culpability as well. And maybe as parents, we need to recognize that. Maybe your parents need to recognize that. I think this is one of the the aspects of a second generation and a third generation church where we have ought against the first generation. And maybe we need to return back to our parents and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you have gone through a lot. I know you have sacrificed a lot. And have that heart to heart. And maybe come before God and sacrifice that fattened calf. And then come to realize that not everyone will do that because the older brother did not want anything to do with it. The older brother comes and says, what? That scoundrel? And he added up all kinds of tales against him. And the father says, no, don't do that. This your brother was dead. This your brother was destroyed. And you and I had a part in this destruction. But he's alive, he's returned. Come on, become a part of this. Does his brother become a part of this? We do not know. Because the Bible doesn't go any further than that. It leaves it there. And maybe there are people who will not become a part of that reconciliation. And what Bishop Tutu says is, that's not our responsibility. Then we need to release them. Either we need to forgive or we need to release because we cannot control people's lives. The father gave the older son the opportunity to forgive and forget because that is what God the father does. He forgives and he forgets. That is true atonement and true reconciliation. Let's pray. I know I'm speaking to an immigrant church and Perhaps the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind a lot, a lot of stuff. Between your parents, your father, your mother, your older brothers and sisters, and saying to you, go back, go back, and be reconciled. To God and to your sister, to your brother. Would you do that as we enter into this season of Lent? The parable that Jesus told is 
that of a person who goes and comes up with all the right kind of sacrifices and then remembers that there is someone that he has harmed. He says, leave, leave all your sacrifice. Go back and first be reconciled. Because only then will there be true relationship with our Father. Would you do that? Oh Lord, as we come before you as individuals, as a church, we pray that you would enable us to be like our Heavenly Father, and like this Father who ran and was reconciled to his Son. Lord, I pray that there would be many, many, many reconciliations as we seek you. So bless us. Bless us with at-one-ment today, O oh Lord, in the name of the sacrificial Lamb of God, Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen.